0: To the Hillside Community Church podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. him immigrating to the United States and raising a family in Brooklyn. Uh, and actually raising a family, those are some of the funny stories. He also told, told me a lot about my dad. I mean, what kid doesn't love hearing about their parents getting in trouble when they were young? Um, I really always enjoyed that. Um, but it was memorable. But as I reflected on it, you know, I noticed this significant detail about how he would tell stories, and there was so much wisdom in it now that I think about it. I absolutely did not recognize it at the time, but now... I can come to appreciate it, and that it always connected to a lesson. No matter what kind of story he told me, he always somehow wove in this life lesson that could be learned, that could be taken away. And even if the life lesson was don't do what I did, right? Um, actually, my grandfather's stories were mainly don't do what I did. But regardless of that, they were still stories and they were still life lessons. Uh, And so today, uh, I want to tell you a story as well. And I'm not nearly the storyteller that my grandfather was, but if you would turn with me today to 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, if you have the word of God electronically or otherwise, turn there and you can follow along with me. We're going to look at the account of the life of King Hezekiah this morning. And and like my grandfather, I learned a little bit about this because I want to look at three specific lessons That I think we can all really learn and grab a hold of uh, this morning in the story of his life. Uh, And right off the bat, this is the first lesson. You ready? The first lesson is that obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. So a little bit about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Uh, He reigned there for 29 years. Uh, His father was Ahaz, Uh, And he raised for 16 years, and the scriptures has a lot to say about Ahaz, and unfortunately, Ahaz was not a good king. He was an evil king. The the Bible says that he did great evil in the sight of God. Uh, And so here you have Hezekiah, who now takes the nation at 25 years old. And so if you've been blessed to either be 25 or go beyond 25, just think back for a moment like who you were at 25. Think about the level of wisdom that you had, the level of leadership that you had. What influence did you have? What kind of decisions were you in charge of making? Well, Hezekiah, he found himself making decisions for an entire nation and governing a nation. And the nation was in bad shape because his father was an evil king. His father introduced uh, the nation to idol worship, and he, he built uh, altars all around the city that people began to worship at. Uh, He took it as far as even introducing child sacrifice as a part of the worship, and he even sacrificed some of his own sons in fire. And so this was an evil man. And not only that, he didn't govern well either. He didn't have wisdom. He even indebted the nation deeply with other kingdoms, trying to keep protection and alliances all over the place. And so 25 years old, here comes Hezekiah with no real training on how to govern wisely or especially no real training on how to be godly. And yet the Bible says that he prospered. The Bible says that Judah prospered for those 29 years. So we have to think like what happened? What was it about him that did that? And I wanna look at that with you today. Second Kings 18 verse three says it this way. It says, he did what was right in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. And then if you jump down to verses five and six, it says, Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. And not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. And he remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. And so there was obedience as a part of him. not only was Hezekiah not an idolater, he was obedient in everything that he did. He brought the nation under the sovereign authority of God. But he didn't just do that, he went around the nation and began to destroy all of the pagan gods. He destroyed all of the symbols. He destroyed every remnant that was there that was, that remained, that spoke of idolatry or that spoke of any other God that was in charge of Judah. And you have to think, listen, at this point, idolatry had run deep into the fabric of this nation. For decades now, they were in idol worship. So this is not an easy thing to do. You're 25 years old, you come into this nation, the culture of the nation is already deep and permeating deep within the fabric of the people. And you come in and the Bible says he immediately did this. He immediately started to break down the temples and break down the idols. Wasn't a popular decision. Yet the scriptures say he did it right away. And I think there's a lesson there, right? As we walk with God, obedience is not always gonna be popular, is it? Sometimes obedience is not gonna be popular with our children and raising them the way that the word of God says that we should raise them. Sometimes it's not gonna be popular with our extended families or friends or communities. And it's definitely not gonna be popular with our current day culture. We have to be the kind of people that make decisions in our life based on being obedient to God's word and not based on the acceptance of other people. And we see that in the life of Hezekiah. You know, my mother uh, raised us and spoke a lot about obedience, me and my two brothers. And it wasn't just the obedience of, you know, obey your mother and father, although that was a, a portion of it. She really took a lot of time over the years to embed in us the depths of what obedience really meant. She wanted us to be obedient, not just by word, but but by true actions in our heart. And one of the things that always resonated with me, she always talked about that uh, walking in obedience is like preparing yourself for a harvest. And I love that because we talk about that often, right, In in our faith and in our walk. But typically we talk about the planting process. And we especially love talking about a harvest. Who doesn't love the season of harvest in their life? But we don't talk as much about the tilling of the ground, the breaking of the hollow ground. We don't talk as much about pulling the weeds and preparing the land for the seed so that the land can take the seed and then bring a harvest forth. And that's what obedience is like. Obedience is preparation for a harvest. Because Hezekiah didn't only declare this new direction for the kingdom. He also destroyed the old one. He destroyed the other path. No temptation, no remnant that remains. Because it's one thing to use our words, but it's another to use our actions. And listen, I get it, right? We might not have shrines and and pillars and statues the way that idols were in that time, but we definitely have things that come into our life and they, be, they can begin to creep into our hearts. And the importance of those things can begin to take over the place that God has in our life. And it could become idols. And on the surface, they may not seem like a bad thing. It may have come into your life as a blessing, but if we're not careful in guarding our hearts, it can begin to lead us astray. And so we have to be diligent in keeping watch over our hearts And I think far too often we may repent of something, but we don't destroy the very remnant that was there. We kind of leave it off to the side. And I think we learn here that we should repent and we should turn from our sin, but we should also remove the remnant of sin and temptation out of our lives once and for all so that we don't fall back into it. And Hezekiah had that wisdom. And so we'll see here that obedience brings a blessing, but Uh, It doesn't exclude us from hard times and trouble in this life, does it? You know, the scriptures say clearly that there's no weapon that will be formed against us that will prosper. But the scripture doesn't say that there will be no weapons that will be formed, right? There will be weapons that are formed against us. And so I want to look at what Hezekiah did as these weapons around him started to form. And verse 7 starts to tell us a little bit about this. It says, the Lord was with him, and wherever he went, speaking of Hezekiah, he prospered. But then he did this, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So a little background on Assyria. So Assyria at this time was the military power of this day. Uh, They were a large nation, they were a cruel nation, Uh, they were an evil nation, Uh, they were a pagan nation, and they were now kind of conquering nations left and right, led by this king Sennacherib. And out of fear, uh, King Ahaz Uh, prior to Hezekiah, had an agreement with Assyria. And so Ahaz, what he would do is he would pay this like extortion fee to keep them from being attacked. And So he would constantly pay. And the nation begins to get in debt because of these payments. And so here you have Hezekiah, a man that trusts and rely on God alone. And he looks at this situation and he goes, you know what? This is an evil nation. This is a pagan nation. We we're the people of God. We we serve God alone. We don't need to pay this extortion fee for us to be safe. And so, once again, countercultural, making the tough call for the sake of obedience, he does just that. He withdraws this agreement, and the payments stop going to Assyria. Now you can imagine this is an evil king. Uh, they weren't too happy about this, right? This was fair game for Assyria and so now Judah was on the board for them as a nation that they would try to conquer next and by this point Assyria had already conquered uh, Samaria to the north and they had started surrounding Judah by capturing the fortified cities that were around them the scriptures say that there were roughly forty six different cities that they took over in these fortified cities around Judah. And so you can imagine, right, like the wars and the rumors of wars that are coming into the gates of Judah. You can essentially hear the footprint, of so, the, the foot of soldiers coming up to the walls in Judah. You feel them pressing in. You feel them getting surrounded in this situation. And Judah had no physical chance at all in this fight. I mean, this should make you think a little bit of David and Goliath, right? This is just Not a chance. There's nothing physical about your military, about your scheme, about uh, your wisdom that's going to get you out of this one. And so Sennacherib then sent word to Hezekiah of his intentions, and I just want to read a little piece of that with you. Read along with me, 2 Kings 18, 28 through 30, and it says this. It says, the royal spokesman stood and called out loudly in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't rescue you from my power. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord by saying, certainly the Lord will rescue us. This will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. And so here you have Sennacherib's spokesman putting doubt and seeds of doubt into the people. Isn't this how the enemy works? You know, sometimes it's self-talk. Sometimes it's others that are not strong in their faith or don't have faith at all. Sometimes we're surrounded around people that have only worldly wisdom and they begin to just plant these little seeds of doubt. As you try to go trust God in your situation, they're just these little seeds of doubt. You can't trust God. They started to actually list off all of the nations that they had previously captured and they had named the gods that they had burned. And they said, every nation that we've captured had gods. Everyone worships to their God for salvation and none of those nations their gods came through. Why would you trust your God? It's the same thing. And so they're trying to put these seeds of doubt in their minds. But there's a lesson in how Hezekiah responded, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Look at chapter 19 now. If you flip to chapter 19, it starts in verse 1. This is what happened. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the Lord's temple. It's a good place to be. He sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the, of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests who were covered with sackcloth. And this is where he sent them. Take note of this. It says, he sent them to the prophet Isaiah. I love that. And they said to him, this is what Hezekiah says. Today is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. For children have come to the point of birth, but there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the royal spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God and will rebuke him for the words that the Lord your God has heard. And then this is what he asks Isaiah. He says, therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. I love that. You see, Hezekiah received this news and it was clear he was distressed. He was overwhelmed. He was disgraced. And so he went to be with the Lord, but this is what he did. And this is lesson number two for us. He sought counsel for prayer. He sought counsel for prayer. Hezekiah immediately sent for a faithful man of God to stand by his side and stand in the gap for him. And he asked, therefore offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we go to the Lord's temple, whatever that might be for you, we go to seek God in a situation and we're so overwhelmed, we're so distressed, we're so bogged down, that it's hard to even sometimes get the words out. But Hezekiah knew that he should send for another man, a faithful man, a godly man, a man that he knows has a relationship with God and he can stand in the gap. And listen, I think far too often as believers, as Christians, as the body of Christ, we try to live our life alone in these difficult situations, the the situations that the world out there would say are embarrassing. Like you would never tell somebody that. You did what? You would never share that with somebody. And we try to do that. We, We operate that way sometimes and far too often. This walk of faith is not meant to be alone. We not only need to seek God for ourselves, we need to seek God together hand in hand, in unison, and in community. We not only need to pray, we need to pray for one another, we need to intercede on behalf of others. It's critical to us having freedom and and for God's power to move in us. Galatians says it this way, and I love this. It says literally the very will of God is fulfilled, and the law of Christ is fulfilled when we bear one another's burdens. When we bear one another's burdens. And listen, I think as Christians, we get pretty good at bearing others' burdens. I really believe that, I think we do. Because I think that we easily kind of connect that to our Christian duty, right? It kind of ties in, it kind of makes sense of loving one another. But many of us don't do what Hezekiah did. He immediately sought wise counsel for prayer and encouragement. In the midst of exactly how he was feeling, distressed, raw, worried, unsure, but willing to connect in community with people that will hold you up in prayer. And he didn't just wait, right? He, he, he didn't wait until the end of this crisis or until the war had begun, until he saw that the, the levels were off and we have more dead than they do. He didn't wait. He did it immediately. He did it at the first sign of trouble. And so here's, here's the message of encouragement for you today. We not only need to be willing to bear the burden of others, We need to be willing to release our burdens for others to bear. And we need to do it at the first sign of trouble. Trusting the body of Christ to come alongside of us and help us through. And this had an immediately positive impact on the situation here. It not only postponed uh, Sennacherib and his army, um, but this is what it also did. In verse 5, it reads this. It says, So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah as they were instructed, who said to them, Isaiah speaking, tell your master, speaking of Hezekiah, the Lord says this. So this is the word from the Lord through Isaiah. It says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When we engage with others, we get the much needed encouragement that we need to even go before God. It begins to build up our faith and our trust We get encouraged by each other. The Lord said, do not be afraid. Don't you love that? I know for me that there have been moments in my life where that was the exact word that I needed from God. And I can tell you that God uses others in our community, literally the ones to your left and to your right right now. He uses those people in his will to bring that word of encouragement to our hearts. But we first have to be willing to be humble and humble ourselves and be willing to be vulnerable in those moments and share exactly what's going on in our life so we can be set free from that. I don't know what it is for you today, if it's anything. Maybe it's sin in your life that's always kind of been in a secret place. Maybe it's some unavoidable circumstances that just happened to you. But maybe it's based on mistakes. Maybe you're dealing with the ramification of some mistakes that you've had and you're just too embarrassed or you just don't want to admit that to anybody. Listen, it's the body of Christ. This community is the body of Christ. We are here to encourage one another. No matter what it is, we get encouraged when we're willing to release our burdens for others, to pray for us and to bear and to lift us up. Amen? So the king of Assyria then continued on his mission to take Judah, and he continued to blaspheme God. He continued to compare God uh, to other gods and to other pagan idols. And so this time he did this through a letter. Um, And I want to jump ahead and look at Hezekiah's response here from receiving this letter from Sennacherib. Read with me in verse number 14. This is what it says. It says, Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands and he read it. And then he went up to the Lord's temple. And I love this. It says, he spread it out before the Lord. And then it says, then Hezekiah prayed. And this was his prayer. He said, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it's true that this king of Assyria has devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them, so now, Lord, our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. I think the third lesson that we can learn here in the life of Hezekiah is the effectiveness of prayer. The third lesson is to pray. Pray. And you know, we know that prayer is a cornerstone of a spiritual discipline that we should all have and that prayer is a vital part of our life and relationship with God. I think we know that. But, but we need to be reminded about prayer. We need to be committed to continuously developing a strong prayer life and being connected directly to God, which is the greatest privilege, right? Being able to speak directly to a living God, and we need to do this not as a chore. This is not about a checklist. This is not about you know uh, establishing ourselves in good works to say that we did it. This is this is not about flowery language or long drawn out prayers. It's not about memorized script. Uh, this is about a prayer life that comes from the depths of our hearts and an output of our utter dependence upon Him that type of prayer life. And listen, I believe that God wants to work powerfully in our lives. And he is determined that he does that through the prayers of his people. He literally accomplishes will on earth through prayer. And we see that throughout the scriptures. First Thessalonians 5.17, I love this uh, because of its simplicity, but at the same time, its power. It says, pray constantly. Pray constantly. Another version says pray without ceasing. And so we, we understand that we should always be in communion with God, no matter what the situation is, frequently, regularly, in good times, in bad times, together in community, but also in private. And so Hezekiah, over time, had developed that type of prayer life with God. He was connected to God through prayer. But when he gets this letter from Sennacherib, uh, you know, he had some choices and I think he specifically had like two choices and we end up having the same type of choices to make in our life when a crisis or when a difficult situation arises in our life in those moments that we feel surrounded. I think the first one is you can either be driven away from God or you could be driven to God through trouble and through trials and through issues that arise. And you can look to the world for wisdom or you can seek God's wisdom through his word and through godly counsel and through prayer. And we see here that Hezekiah did the latter. He was driven to God and and, and to prayer and his prayer was so effective that, uh, and it was so honest that I I just wanna take a look at his prayer uh, for a moment with you. I wanna look at four characteristics of his prayer to see if we can learn something about effective prayer in moments of crisis that come into our lives. And this is not about rehearsing a prayer that Hezekiah prayed, but it's about understanding structurally, understanding his posture and his approach to prayer in this moment. And I think there's something really good that we can learn here. So the first thing that I think we grabbed from his prayer was that he got alone with God. I love that. He went and got alone with God. And we see this importance of getting alone with God throughout the New Testament, especially in the life of Jesus. One of my favorite examples of that is in Matthew 14, Twenty-three. This is after Jesus and his disciples fed the 5,000. And this is what it said was on Jesus's mind in that moment. It says, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And well into the night, he was there alone. I love that. There's a, uh, it's, it's so significant because uh, being alone with God speaks of relationship, doesn't it? It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of intentionality right? The Bible says Hezekiah went to the temple. It says Jesus went to the mountain. There's intentionality in where they were going and why they were going. And that speaks to the kind of relationship that you have. You know, many of you around here uh, know my wife, and usually when you see me, you see my wife. It's just the way it is. I love spending time with my wife. Um, I asked them if she could be up here with me today, but they said no, so I I couldn't be with her in this moment. But um, I I just wanna be in her presence. I believe every room that she's in, the room is better because she's there. I enjoy being around her, I enjoy spending time with her. And so even when we're with friends or family or if we're with our kids, uh, I'm glad that she's there. And we connect in those moments and that's very important for our relationship to see how she interacts with others and to see me interacting with others, to see her as a mom and to see me as a dad. We grow in our relationship even while we're in community. But I don't count that as our date night when we're out with other people, and maybe I'm just a little greedy, right? But date nights have become important to us. We have two young children, so that's kind of a lifeblood for our relationship, for us to have alone time and be together because when we're with other people, those are not the deepest moments of our life. It's great and it's important, but those are not the moments that I, I pour my heart out to her. Those are not the moments that I tell her kind of my deepest insecurities and release kind of the inner man that I am. Those are not the moments that, that she tells me about the visions that God has given her for the next season of her life. That happens when we get alone. That happens when, when we have intentional time. And listen, God wants that kind of relationship with you. He wants that kind of relationship with you. Should we pray without ceasing? Yes. Should we pray in community? Yes. We should, but we should also have intentional, focused, private time with God. And I believe we see his power in those moments. The second thing we see uh, from this prayer is that he started with who God is. He started with who God is. Read with me, look at 2 Kings 19.15. It says, Hezekiah prayed, and this was how he started his prayer. It says, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth, proclaiming the character of God and proclaiming who he is. I love that because we think of Hezekiah as a powerful man. Hezekiah was a king, but coming before God, Hezekiah knew his place. Hezekiah knew himself as a king, but he knew God as the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Hezekiah knew what kind of power he had on earth, but he recognized that God had power over heaven and earth, both on the seen and the unseen. And so when he comes into his presence, he's coming with a posture of humility before God, recognizing who he is as small and recognizing who God is as great. And I think we see that also from Jesus. As Jesus talks to us about how to pray in Matthew 6, He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to us. These are Jesus's words. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy or hallowed be thy name. Jesus said the same thing. He said, when you approach the father, you talk about his character, you talk about who he is. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but one specifically that I think we need to approach God with a posture of humility in our hearts is because by declaring the character of God and his holiness, it begins to stir up our own faith, right? It begins to stir up our own faith. We start to just proclaim the goodness of God, proclaim exactly who God is, that he's holy, that he's above all, that he's all powerful, that he has everything under control, that he created the heavens and the earth, that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is our provider, that he's Jehovah Rapha that he's a great healer, that he is the great I am. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we enter his presence like that, all this stuff starts to happen on the inside of us. We start to stir up our faith and it's that faith that activates the prayer. And so we need to call out of who God is and remember who he is when we enter his presence. When we do that, the focus ends up being so much less on the problem and more on the problem solver. It, it, it becomes less about us and more about him because that's who it's about. He's the one that can carry the burden. He's the one that brings salvation. And so as we call out to God, I encourage you, when you get into his presence, let's humble ourselves before him and just worship who he is because he's the same God Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? The third thing that we see in his prayer was that it was dependent and honest. It was dependent and honest. Hezekiah in this situation didn't try to minimize the current realities, right? He didn't try to, uh, you know, minimize the scale of the issue. He went to God with honesty and in total dependence upon him. And I just love how verse 17, what he says, he says, Lord, it's true. It's true. The king of Assyria has devastated all of those nations. What he wrote to me was real. He did take all the fortified cities and burn those gods. All of that is true. And so I can tell you today, and I don't know who this is for, but God can handle your present reality and circumstances just the way they are. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to make it seem any different than what it is. He can handle our honesty. He can handle the weight of our circumstances. Hezekiah laid the letter out before the Lord. Isn't that a great picture? Can you picture that laying this letter out before the Lord? It's just a great picture of of desperation and of honesty, right? It symbolizes just bearing it all nothing to hide, nothing held back. It's all right here, God. You can see it for yourself. He can handle our honesty. And so what about you this morning? What about you this morning? Is there anything in your life that you need to lay out in complete honesty of where you are right now before God? Is it time for you to lay something out before the Lord? You know, like Hezekiah, there's circumstances that can arise in our lives and and we can just feel surrounded. Like there's absolutely no way out. But I believe when we lay those things out before the Lord, he's powerful to come through in our life. So I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a medical report. Maybe it's a a financial report or the realities of a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's issues going on at work or at school or in your community. Maybe it's something personal like an addiction that you're just battling or a sin that's creeped back into your life. Maybe you're interceding for someone else like a wayward child or someone that you care about. Whatever it is, it's time to lay it out before the one who is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. He is the sovereign one. His very name is salvation. His name is Jesus, and he can handle our issues the way they are. In complete honesty and desperation as we approach him. And then finally, in closing, I want to look at this fourth piece of this prayer. Um, And it's so now and so that. I know that sounds weird. It's so now and so that. And so let's take a look at this. Verse 19 starts with this. It says, so now, Lord our God, please save us from his power. So so this is the beginning of a petition, and we should petition God, right? Jesus taught us, and when he taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, to petition God to bring our needs to him as a good father. And so, Lord God, please save us from his power. But then there's this piece, so that, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. You see how those two things work together? Those two things always work together. Our petition, His glory. Yes, I wanna be saved. Yes, I want my people to be saved. Yes, I want healing. Yes, I need deliverance. But Lord, do it so that your name would be great Do it so that your name would be lifted high. Do it so that your name would be magnified. Do it so that your name would be called out by more people and your kingdom would be expanded so that those two things always work together. We're saved, he's magnified. We get the help, he gets the glory. Amen? You know, in our life, we've had a couple of situations like that, those moments that you have to just get alone with God and have one of those so that prayers, right, like Hezekiah did. And we saw others throughout Scripture have a so that prayer. Elijah has a famous one, uh, so that they would know that you alone are God, right, when he defeated Baal. Um, But for us, one of the significant ones actually happened nine years ago. My six-month-old son at the time started to develop like this lump on the left side of his neck. And... It was kind of like the craziest thing we had ever seen. We had never seen anything like it. It got to the size of like a plum in and, and, and a six month old, right? So we're really concerned and, um, and everything just started to happen so fast. I mean, you talk about downhill. This thing was Olympic style skiing, right? This was straight downhill. Uh, one day we were at the pediatrician's office uh, and the next we were literally being checked into the long term stay within the children's oncology unit at Johns Hopkins in in Maryland. And we were on the 27th floor. And every doctor we spoke to, you know, thought the worst. The the, the reports were consistent. And the interesting thing is they were checking us into this long-term stay in the oncology unit before the biopsy had even come back. I mean, that's, that's what they thought. Like every check mark that they had looked at prior to the biopsy was this it looks like what we think it's going to look like and I remember walking in and asking a really naive question and um I, I said you know what should I do about work and everything and they said well you should be prepared to stay for a while right and so they took our one and a half year old daughter and or two year old daughter and started to show her around the facility and they say hey this is where all the siblings come and this is where they play and uh the report was bad. We were surrounded. But it was only by the grace of God that even just to have the little bit of faith that we had, this is not about us being great. He gave us the faith that we had. He gave us any little bit of wisdom that we could muster at the time. And so we did this. We, we sought prayer and, uh, and counsel, and we, we went to faithful people that we knew would stand in the gap. Me and my wife, we fasted and we prayed. And we specifically prayed for exactly what we wanted. We prayed for healing. We prayed for deliverance. But we also prayed that he would deliver him so that my son would share of the goodness of God all the days of his life. And we prayed so that me and his mom would be able to tell that story. And he's over there nine years old, healthy, active, handsome, all of it. And right now, even if you asked him, right, what, what's the scar about on your neck? He wouldn't just blow it off. He would tell you that it's when God delivered him, even at nine. And that doesn't make him perfect, but he knows who God is. And so he answered our prayer, our salvation, his glory. Amen? And that's what we saw with Hezekiah. Verse 20 says this, it says, then Isaiah son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer. And I love that. One version actually says, because you have prayed. Listen, the scriptures don't leave any doubt that the miracle, that the response came through the channel of prayer. There's no doubt about that. It says, I have heard your prayer. And here's my response from God in verse 34. It says, I will defend this city. Why God? Why will you defend it? For my sake, so that for my glory so that the world would know my name. It's his will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, guys. When we come before God, it's not just about what we receive. We want his name to be lifted high and for every heart and every mouth to confess that he alone is God. That night, verse 35, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. I don't know about you, but that number like seared into my mind, 185,000. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a brag if I ever heard one, right? When you say, oh, and when the people got up the next morning, like. There were no swords clinging. There were no arrows being thrown. When God steps in, he does his will, no war. The Bible actually says, Hezekiah also mentions in in the extended version in in 2 Chronicles, that it says, not one arrow will be thrown at your gates. And so listen, every prayer isn't answered the same. It's not. Every prayer isn't answered the same, but we know that God is sovereign. And one thing I can tell you is true, that his sovereignty is always better than our requests. And so we have to trust in that. And Hezekiah in this case enlisted the prayers of faithful men. And he himself went into the house of the Lord privately and and desperately and honestly and humbly And he was delivered supernaturally. And so the best thing I can tell you today to encourage you just in this moment that you're in is that he's the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that Joseph called upon. The same God that Elijah called upon. Elisha called upon him. Daniel called upon him. David called upon him. The same God that Hezekiah called upon. The same God that Jesus called upon. He's the same God that we have an opportunity to call upon today. And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know exactly the circumstances of your life right now, your present reality. But I can assure you that God knows. God knows exactly where you are. And he can handle your honesty. He can handle the weight of your situation right now. And you may feel surrounded and everything looks bleak. The reports are all bad, but he's in control. And I'm telling you, if we lay it out before the Lord today, and if we connect in community with mature believers that are faithful to lift you up in prayer, he is the God that saves. He is the God that brings deliverance to his people. We can call on that God today. I would encourage you not to let the sun go down. If you have something that you need to bring to God, I encourage you to lay it out before him today. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful, Father, for who you are. Just the privilege and the opportunity to know you, God. You are our great God. You are a deliverer. And so, Father, I know that you know every intricate detail of every situation. And so, we just lift that up as a community today, right now. And I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would move in the hearts of your people today. And you would encourage them this morning that they can come to you honestly and in desperation, wherever it is that they are. And they can seek you, Father, for deliverance and for a solution in their issue and in their problem and in their life. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.